Live from Nashville, Tennessee, it's Dawn and Steve in the morning. Good morning from Moody Radio. Manny joins us to talk about Brainwashed. Intrigued? Me too. You're not the only one. I'm too, and appreciate uh, Manny joining us this hour. We're going to get into this conversation in just one moment. But yeah, Don is off today. Looking forward to having her back uh, next week. But how many of us maybe have struggled with toxic thoughts? We have struggled to really be able to engage well with Scripture and to kind of do battle uh, against those ideas, those temptations that come into our mind, and, and how do we take control of that? You know, Scripture talks about taking every thought captive, but how can we do that? Well, join us to talk a little bit about how we can uh, overcome toxic thoughts and take back control of our minds is Manny Arango. He's a preacher, Bible nerd, storyteller, and overcomer. Uh, in the uh, brief bio, Manny, i got to admit, Bible nerd is the one that uh, jumps out at me the first. <laughs> What's, what makes you a self-professed Bible nerd? Oh, man. First of all, I've probably been a, a Bible nerd since middle school. I went to a Christian uh, middle school and high school, and uh, I thought it was normal for everybody to just be captivated by, you know, all types of very, uh, I would say, detailed topics like the Nephilim or ancient <laughs> Near Eastern culture or, you know, what, it, like, you know, all these all the parts of context that actually bring scripture to life. I thought that was normal. Then I, you know, I got to college. I was a biblical studies major, went and got my master's and now I'm actually in a doctoral program. Uh, so by 2024, I'll be Dr. Manny Arango. So I am a, I'm a Bible nerd through and through. I, uh, I love my wife is the one that has to help me to tell me like, Hey, no one's going to care about that. Don't, don't, Don't don't bring that up. But hey, people care about this stuff over here. So she helps me to, you know, sift through the nerdy content and the stuff that, you know, is really going to help people in their spiritual journey. Well, our wives have uh, the ability to speak truth in our lives sometimes when we need to hear it, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, mine does that too. <laughs> well, we are uh, glad to talk with you about how to be mentally strong in Christ. I think a lot of people would uh, kind of struggle to say, yeah, I'm, I'm mentally strong. I know I want to be, but I have all these thoughts that keep bombarding my mind. I don't know what to do with them. This is a thing that I think many of us have wrestled with at certain periods of our life, sometimes more than others. Is this coming out of your own personal walk and your own experience, Manny? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was, I think I was in college and I heard, I was at a conference actually. And someone said, you know, every book takes about seven years of life experience to write. And so, yeah, my own life experience is battling with victim mentality, battling with comparison, battling with insecurity, battling with anxiety, battling with depressing thoughts, uh, battling with, you know, battling with suicidal thoughts, battling with all kinds of, of thoughts. And, uh, yeah, so this book is an, is an overflow of, personal life experiences, my walk with God, and, and a, lot of, a lot of nerdy Bible content. <laughs> well, but, but wait a minute. The Bible nerd has to overcome all these types of things, too? I mean, when, oh my once goodness. you became a believer, it just wasn't all rosy? Oh, my gosh. You know, there's a difference between, you know, information and wisdom. And you can learn a lot of information, a lot of theological information. And ultimately, that information can and should lead to life transformation or wisdom or applied knowledge, but it doesn't always, and that's not automatic. 
there has to be an intentional process to say, okay, I, I now know this about God, but now I have to unlearn what I've always thought. And there has to be a process whereby I actually unlearn or uproot or kind of deconstruct. I know that's a buzzword right now, but actually, you know, I don't want to get too controversial, but deconstruction is actually a, a good process. I think the thing that we see as toxic, especially in church right now, is det people detaching themselves from church. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. Asking hard questions, replacing bad ideas or wrong ideas or incomplete ideas with full or more robust ideas. That is a natural process of anybody who's walking uh, a faith journey. The issue, I think, that we see with deconstruction is not that people are asking hard questions, it's that they're cynical, it's that they're judgmental of the church, and then they end up leaving church. And so detaching yourself from church is actually the bigger issue. But we all have to deconstruct. We have to deconstruct what our families of origin taught us. We have to deconstruct what culture teaches us. We have to deconstruct ideas about God that we assumed are true, that may not be true, um, but just because you've deconstructed doesn't mean that another idea automatically reconstructs in its place, right? So mm -hmm. there's a process whereby we replace thoughts and uproot thoughts. And, and it's a lifelong journey. Nobody ever arrives. <laughs> there's, right. no, there's no moment where, oh, there we go. My brain is now where I want it to be and I can put it on cruise control. No, it's a daily act of sanctification of, of discipleship to say I'm going to I'm going to have an active relationship with my mind not a passive relationship with my mind. I'm not going to allow my mind to tell me what to think about. I'm going to dictate what we're going to think about today. I love the fact that uh, you're talking about the active, the intentionality, the fact that yes, we cling to truth, but there is an engagement in that as as we do that and the applied knowledge that we have helping us walk a, a life of more biblical wisdom. Um, when did God kind of really begin to, in a sense, do the deconstruction in you is saying, Manny, okay, what we're going to, I'm going to start showing you some stuff about me. That's going to rock your world a little bit. Absolutely. I remember being a junior in college and um, I'd actually taken a semester off and uh, joined a missionary organization for about six months took a mission trip to Thailand. In the middle of all that, we were kind of doing a training seminar. And uh, the missions organization leader came in for a week to teach on the father heart of God. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now, mind you, I'm a biblical and theological studies major. I, I, I'm not used to studying fluffy, you know, feel good, <laughs> spiritual stuff like the father heart of God. I'm like, what is this, you know? And uh, on Monday, he had us write down you know, hey, what did you think about your your biological father, your earthly father? What did you think about your dad right around age 13, 14? And man, I remember, you know, to be honest and vulnerable with you, you know, my dad was incarcerated for 18 years. My dad took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. Like my dad was in and out of the house. My dad was a drug addict. My dad, you know, so I had all of these thoughts about my dad at 13 years old. Um, a lot of abandonment in there, a lot of insecurity in there, a lot of a desire for validation that I didn't get from my dad, a lot of distrust. So that was on Monday, okay? On Friday, it's almost as if we'd forgotten the exercise on Monday. And on Friday, said, you know, tell me, um, just write down, you know, what you think about God. 
you know, what you think about your heavenly father. Um, and I, I just began a journal. And of course, you know, I, he tricked us all, you know, he, he let us, he led us right into wisdom, you know, and the, the list matched the mm -hmm. two lists were identical. And I was using my dad, my earthly father as a lens to see God, to see my heavenly father. And the reality is that we all do that, that, that is not foreign. It's why parenting is so important. It's, it's why, and even the best parent is going to fall short of yeah. the perfect standard of who God is. You know, some parents hit the mark a little better than others, you know? And I remember that was the first time that I feel like God was trying to reveal to me or communicate to me, I'm not who, I'm not made in the image that you've cast for me. Hmm. You're made in my image. I'm not made in yours. I am not, uh, I'm not, I'm trust, I am trustworthy. I'm I'm fully loving. Yeah. I'm a protector. I, I I'm I'm God. I I'm not your dad. <laughs> you know, I'm right. not not all these things. And so I actually went through a probably man and I, and I can get into that story next, but I probably went through a two year process where I forgave my father. Hmm. And well, I know that, yeah, go ahead. That's a good spot to ask you to pause the story because a lot of people can identify with having issues related to their earthly father impacting and affecting how they see their heavenly father. So when, when we come back, we're going to spend a little time talking about that and how we can overcome toxic thoughts and take back control of your mind. The book is called Brainwashed, written by our guest, Manny Arango. We're talking with Manny Arango. He is a teaching pastor at Social Dallas. He's the founder of a ministry that is offering original online courses about Bible and theology. He's written a book entitled Brainwashed, Overcoming Toxic Thoughts to Take Back Control of Your Mind. And Manny, was we were talking a little bit about how, you know, the relationship or lack thereof that we've had with our earthly father can certainly impact the way that we view God. You were talking about after you kind of realized the severity with which you were, you know, viewing God through the the lens of your earthly father. You had to go through a process, and it wasn't a sounds like a quick one of learning to forgive <laughs> your earthly father. Many people, unfortunately, can relate to your story in some way. They they've not had a good earthly father. What was that process like of learning to forgive your dad? Well, first of all, it's a process, right? And I think we have to be honest with the fact that it is a process. I would much so rather God bippity-boppity-boo and wave a magic wand over my heart, and all of a sudden, I just forgive. But the reality is that forgiveness is both a decision and a process. And so uh, I decided I needed I needed to take my mental health seriously. I needed a therapist. So uh, I remember the executive pastor at my church got me connected with like a Christian therapist, and for about a year and a half, I mean, I begrudgingly sat in this man's office every Tuesday, right around 11 a.m., and and was uncomfortable, was made, I felt naked while I was in this man's office because of the level of vulnerability, the questions that he would ask. And I remember we had a breakthrough session that that this was probably maybe nine months in, okay, nine months of me blaming my dad, of playing the role of a victim, of, you know, of honestly battling with suicidal uh, ideations and depression and anxiety. I mean, all of these things rooted in 
man. And just my dad's, my dad's, my dad doing the best he could with what he had, but even his best, just not being enough to really equip me for adulthood. And so I remember we're in a session and I said to the therapist, I'm just venting. And I said to my therapist, you know, my dad, it's like he did more damage to me and my mom with his words than his actions. Like his drug addiction was pretty bad, you know, but really the stuff that sticks with me is his words. My dad had this way with words. My dad could sell water to a well. My dad could light up a room with his personality. He's so charismatic. He was an addict. He was a drug addict for my, my, since I've known him, you know, my whole life, but he was also a construction worker. He could get like a twenty, thirty thousand dollars down payment for a job and then never show up. My dad could talk his way into anything, talk his way out of anything. He was just this, he was just, he could, you knew he was lying. You know, this man hasn't been to a basketball game in years. He tell me he's going to be this basketball game. And I still believe him because of how charismatic my dad is. And um, the therapist looks at me and says, well, it sounds like your father left you a powerful set of gifts. Now, at this point, I'm offended, thrown off guard. I am, I'm not happy about what this therapist has just said, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, your job is to hand me the Kleenex and rub my back. Like, your job (laughs) is not to confront me or, like, challenge me, right? And uh, the therapist says, no, like, your dad left you a powerful set of gifts. At this point, I'm like, hey, man, like, you, you, it's funny now it it was not funny in the moment right i remember saying how about you put your little note notebook down and like listen to what i'm saying because clearly you know you got it wrong he says can you describe your father to me again of course i describe my father again my dad could talk his way into anything talk his way out of anything he's charismatic he's got a gift of gab you know he's he my dad is hypnotizing with his words my dad has a way with words and the therapist said yep i got it right man sounds like your dad he blessed you God, God knew the exact father you needed in order for you to be who God wanted you to be. And I said, you got to help connect the dots for me. The therapist asked me one question, which should have seemed obvious, but it was not obvious to me at 23 years old, 24, said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher. He said, then it sounds like you can talk people out of anything, talk people in anything. Sounds like it sounds like your gift is your words. It sounds like you can talk people out of depression, talk them into joy, talk people out of anxiety, talk them into peace, talk people out of hell, talk them into heaven. It it sounds like God knew the raw ingredients that lived in your father, and he chose your father on purpose so that you could be the individual that God wanted you to be. And your choice now is whether or not you are going to allow your father and life and me and all the scenarios that you, you know, are blaming to empower you or whether or not you're going to try to get pity. Hmm. So you have the choice to make between whether or not you go after power or pity, but you can't receive power and pity from the same source simultaneously. It doesn't work that way. And the moment you want to get pity from your pastor or pity from your friends or pity from your dad or pity from God, you're no longer eligible to receive power from those individuals. So I could either challenge you. I could tell you that your dad blessed you. I could tell you that this is all work together for your good. I could empower you or I could allow you to be a victim and I could pity you and allow you to remain in the role of a victim because if there's a victim there has to be a villain and Mm -hmm. in the story you framed yourself as a victim 
which means your dad is always going to be the victim, which means your dad is always going to be the villain mm -hmm. and no one's ever going to win. Or I can help you to see that you could be a hero and, but you can't be a hero and a victim at the same time. So you're going to have to, you're, we're at a fork in the road. And I remember that was the day I called my dad and said, Hey, thanks. Like you blessed me. Like, thank wow. you. And, 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 and that was the first time I'd spoken to my father in probably two years and called him just said, thank you. Like I've never been able to really see how you've been a source of blessing in my life, but you've blessed me beyond measure. I was able to, I, I was real. I began to realize that when Joseph says what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. When Joseph says those words, mm -hmm. that's Joseph's perspective. That's not God speaking. That's not anyone telling Joseph how to see the scenario. Joseph has chosen to frame the narrative in a way where he's not the victim and his brothers are not the villains. He's chosen a, a story, a narrative to tell himself in which he can be empowered, empowered to forgive. I, I think the biggest trick of the enemy was to tell me that if I forgave my dad, that that would be weakness. That that strength was the stubbornness to not forgive. And then I realized that, no, when I choose my narrative, I choose that it's actually strength that leads me to forgiveness. Manny Arengo with us talking about overcoming toxic thoughts, taking back control of your mind. His book is called Brainwashed. And when we come back, we're going to continue to talk a little bit about Two different types of minds, the mind of Adam, the mind of Christ, and hopefully we'll uh, have some time to get into biblical intimacy as well. So hope that you'll stay with us. It is Don and Steve in the morning. This is Moody Radio. Forget the A-team. It's the AM team with Dawn and Steve in the morning on Moody Radio. And we're talking this hour with Manny Rango. He is a teaching pastor at Social Dallas. He's a Bible nerd, storyteller, and author. He's written the book Brainwashed, Overcome Toxic Thoughts and Take Back Control of Your Mind. And if you want to get more info about that or get a copy of the book, we've got the link at our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the Morning. Uh, Manny, as we've talked about the intentionality of engaging our thought life, one of the things that uh, we're, we're told to do in Scripture is to have the mind of Christ. And that's obviously not what, uh, you know, culture is going to tell us <laughs> a very different thing. The, the mind of Adam and, you know, the, whatever the culture is talking about. And, and that leads to a toxicity. And so how, how can we learn to put on the mind of Christ? Yeah, I think it's a process, right? So we've got to compare the mind of Adam to the mind of Christ. And I would say that there's a journey from the mind of Adam to the mind of Christ. I walk through that journey in the book Brainwashed. Uh, but the mind of Adam, right, first, does not trust God. So the mind of Adam is marked. The, all disobedience is rooted in distrust. So Adam doesn't sin because he thinks the fruit is cool. He sins because the serpent convinces him and Eve that God's holding out on them, that God can't be trusted. And so the first thing that is marked by the mind of Christ is total surrender. God, let... I don't want to go to the cross, but let this cut pass for me, but your will be done. I trust you more than I trust myself. And I trust your character. I trust your goodness. So the first three chapters of Brainwash is actually deeply theological. 
because we're all doing theology. I know sometimes that word can be an intimidating, scary, big word. And no, that's what people do in seminary. No, that's what everyone does. We are all coming to conclusions about what is God like? Is he mean? Is he petty? Is he, is he, is he like my earthly father? And then next is how do we relate to humans? Adam and Eve sin. And they immediately, what? Begin to blame one another. There's now separation in their relationship because if I have the wrong thoughts about God, I'm going to have the wrong thoughts about myself. And if I have the wrong thoughts about myself, I'm always going to have the wrong thoughts about other people, right? Uh, insecurity doesn't just, doesn't just impact the way I see myself. Mm -hmm. It impacts the way that I see other people. And so the mind of Christ, because Jesus fully trusts God, he can, he can know himself. He doesn't have to find identity or discover himself. He receives identity from God. Because I believe God, now I believe what God has to say about me. So I can build confidence, not because I have a list of affirmations of things that I like about myself, but like Moses at the burning bush, Moses is very, very insecure. God wants to tell Moses, hey, you're going to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Five times, Moses says, nah, you got the wrong guy. I stutter. I can't do it, right? Moses is riddled with insecurity. And what's God's response? God's response is not to tell Moses anything about Moses. God's response is this. I am that I am, mm -hmm. right? So the, the, the kryptonite for insecurity is to understand who God is. So only when I understand who God is can I understand who I am because I'm made in his image. I'm made in his likeness. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. So the moment I try to make a small deal of God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inevitably not know how to build my identity, which is what we're finding in culture. Mm -hmm. And so now we use race, we use gender, we use sexual orientation to create identity instead of using, no, I'm only, I only have value in relation to this being called God. And once I get a revelation of I am that I am, then I can be confident. Then I can walk in the fullness of my of my identity, not because I found it somewhere, but because I received it from from my heavenly Father. And then, go ahead. No, I was going to say we, we've got a minute before the break, and I'm, you oh. may be going there anyway. But my question is: once we understand that we are created in the image of God, His Son, His daughter, how does understanding that help us to live differently? How does knowing our identity change the way that we live? I mean, think about it. If you if you got alerted by a, a, a trust fund lawyer today that you, your dad was actually like John D. Rockefeller or your great great great, it would change everything about your life. You, you'd you'd walk into a car dealership or you'd you'd house shop in a very very different way if you realize that there's a couple of million dollars sitting waiting for you in a trust fund. I think that it does it creates instant confidence for you to say, you know what, I, I don't have to. I don't have to compete. I don't have to, I don't have to jockey for position. I, I'm a son of God. I, there's doors that God's already opened for me. I, I don't have to be jealous of anybody else. Hmm. There's things that God has uniquely gifted me to do. And I have a revelation of that. It changes everything. Manny Rango with us uh, talking about his book, Brainwashed, Overcome Toxic Thoughts and Take Back Control of Your Mind. When we come back in just a few moments, want to talk about biblical intimacy. What is that? And what are the ingredients? Thanks for being with us. Why not take Dawn and Steve with you wherever you go? Download the Moody Radio app. Thanks for listening to Dawn and Steve in the Morning.
That way, if you missed part of our conversation with Manny Urango, you can go back and you can listen. You can also go to our Facebook page and find a link to his book, Brainwashed, Overcoming Toxic Thoughts and Take Back Your Mind. Uh, Manny, we've got just a few minutes left and want to spend a little time talking about something you call biblical intimacy. What is that? I think that most of us, right, because we have toxic ideas about God, and then because we entertain toxic ideas about ourselves, we end up living these isolated lives where we're not in real intimacy with anybody. And we're, we're not in intimacy because we're ashamed of who we are. It's very, very, very hard to be honest with your spouse, with your kids, with your family, with your church about your drinking problem or your porn addiction or your or your insecurities if you're constantly trying to prop yourself up as someone you're not which is what a lot of us are doing i've been there i've been in this rat race where you know i'm just i i'm i'm jockeying for position with everyone and i i want people to think that i'm more saved than i really am or i'm more holy than i really am or and i think that that this stuff keeps us isolated. And, and if we're isolated, we become our own echo chamber. Insecurity is impossible to break if you are just in an isolated echo chamber by yourself. It's very, very rare that you come to profound conclusions about yourself, God, and the world alone in your own head. Uh, this is why having a therapist is so freeing because for the first time, your thoughts go from just in your head to out. And there's another person that can affirm, challenge, confront whether or not your thoughts are even healthy. But most of us just assume. We assume since our thoughts came from our own head, we trust them. Hmm. And we've got to get to a place where we go, no, actually, my wife, she can see my blind spots better than I can. My brothers and sisters in Christ, they're actually here for a reason. And I think that relationship is a tool that God actually wants to use. Relationship with him and relationship with others. Because remember, the great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. So relationship is always going to be connected to spiritual uh, maturity and spiritual formation. And I think it's a secret sauce. It's like God saying, hey, like, I want, I want you to take the fig leaves off so that you can be vulnerable again because I created you to be naked and not ashamed. That's your original design. Mm -hmm. And that all this energy that you're spending getting these fig leaves together because you're full of shame, it's just going to lead you to pockets of isolation. And we know that nothing, nothing positive happens in isolation. So for the person listening today who says, I'm resonating with what you're saying, Manny, but, but if I take the fig, leaks, the fig leaves off, then I'm vulnerable, I'm scared, I'm going to be rejected. People, if they really know who I am, I, I am going to be rejected. Why take the fig leaves off if that's going to be my future? It's worth the risk. First of all, there may be some rejection, but rejection's a part of life. I'm not going to lie to you and promise you that no one's ever going to reject you. Rejection is a part of life. Number two, not everybody's going to reject you. And so it's, it's part of life. When I make myself numb and I say, no, life's too painful, I also numb myself of the joys of life. 
So I can't protect myself from the pain of life and think that I can also experience the joys of life. It doesn't work that way. Life is a mixed bag and the joy and the pain are all mixed together. The rejection and the acceptance are all in there together. And it's your job to experience the fullness of life and to experience a full life. That's going to include some rejection, but it's also going to include some deep bonds that you need in order to be a full of a fully formed person um, in a relationship with Jesus. That's what it uh, keeps going back to is we've had this conversation over and over again. It's very practical, tangible things that you've given us that we can do, but you keep bringing it back also to our identity in Christ, all these things in Jesus. And uh, I love the fact that it begins and ends with him. And in the midst of that, there are some things that we can do to engage well, to, to live intentionally. Manny Arango, our guest this hour, he has written the book called Brainwashed, and we have you, uh, we've got a link for this at our Facebook page. So I encourage you to go check it out on Facebook. You're just looking for Don and Steve in the morning. Manny, appreciate your time this morning. Thank you for uh, sharing your heart with us and sharing your story and just uh, sharing how God has been instrumental in the life of this Bible nerd. I still I love that part of your bio. It is Don and Steve in the morning on Moody Radio.